Thank you, Wendy. If you take your Bibles uh, and uh, turn with me to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. Now, if you're under uh, 16 years old, I want to ask you a question. What is the fastest land animal in the world? Anybody under 16? Tell me. What? Cheetah. Yeah, the African cheetah. Very good. Very good. Um, Apparently, the cheetah can uh, accelerate from zero to 60 miles an hour in less than three seconds and can get up to 70 miles an hour. It is the fastest land animal in the world. But even though it's extremely fast, the cheetah lacks endurance. You see, the cheetah has a very small heart in proportion to its body. And as a result, the cheetah will wear out quickly. And so if if the cheetah does not catch its prey early in the chase, it has to quit. It has to stop because its heart will not allow it to go on. And so the cheetah is all about speed, but not endurance. The cheetah is really great at sprinting. Couldn't do a marathon. Let me ask you a question. From your experience, is the life of a church a sprint or a marathon? It's a marathon. It's a marathon. The life of a church, the ministry of a church, is not about speed as much as it is about endurance. And what is going to inspire a church to endure hope? You knew the answer to that, right? Hope. I want to read something to you. Uh, A father was trying to teach his son not to quit so easily when things got difficult. He said, son, you've got to hang in there and not quit. Look at Abraham Lincoln. Things were difficult for him and he did not quit. Look at Thomas Edison. Things were difficult for him, but he did not quit. And look at Douglas MacArthur. Things were difficult for him. He did not quit. Then he said, look at Elmo McCringle. And the son said, wait a minute, Dad. Who is Elmo McCringle? I never heard of him. And the father said, see, He quit. (sighs) What is it 
that can cause an individual or a church, for that matter, to endure, to go on, even when it's difficult, and not quit. You know, hope. And that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, Today concludes our first series of the year, just a short four-part series. Um, It's called Faith, Love, Hope. We've been looking at those three things that are so common in Scripture. And uh, we've been talking about each one. We've talked about the faith and how important that is, not only for us as individuals, but as a church. Uh, We've talked about love, how important that is. But not just for we as individuals, but as a church. And so today we're going to do the same with this idea of hope. And how important that is for us as individuals, but again, so important for a church. So let's pray, and then we'll do that. Father, we uh, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to sing of your love, to sing of your faithfulness, to sing of your never-failing work and care in our lives. Thank you, Father, for even just through the playing of a flute, to remind many of us who recognize the song of the blessed assurance that we can have, the wonderful hope we can have as your people, as individuals, yes, but also as a church, a community of believers. And Father, we ask you that you might minister to us through your word and, and through the example of a church that functioned a long time ago, Lord, But you were there, and you turned them into a church that was all about faith and love and hope. And may their experience be an example for us again today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And that's why I had you open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, During this series, we've been going back to this text often because... Uh, our theme has come out of First Thessalonians chapter 1. And uh, today what we're going to see is that the church in Thessalonica was known for its hope and for the endurance of that church because they were inspired by hope. And so uh, take a look with me at some mention of their endurance inspired by hope, starting in verse 2, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2. Paul says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We find that this church was known for its endurance that was inspired by their hope. They were a church that persevered. That's endurance, by the way. When we think of endurance, 
we can think of perseverance because in the New Testament, you'll find that whenever you see the word endurance or the word perseverance, they are coming from the same Greek word. And so they're synonyms. So if you like endurance better, use endurance. If you like perseverance, which I kind of lean toward, I like that word, perseverance, uh, that's how the Thessalonian church was known. They were known as a church who persevered, a church that endured. And Paul says it came from their hope. A definition for endurance would be the ability to keep standing firm and moving forward despite difficulty. Perseverance. And the important part of that definition for endurance is that it it not only is the ability to stand firm when things are difficult, but it includes that second part. It's the ability to stand firm, but also to keep moving forward. That's true endurance. That's true perseverance. It's not just, oh, I'll just stand here and take it and try to make it through. No. Endurance, perseverance, is to be able to stand firm when things are hard, but also to keep moving forward. That's important in the definition. And so what was it about the Thessalonians that helped them to endure and persevere? It was their hope. What is hope? Well, hope is the confident expectation of future good. Hope has to do with the future. Things that haven't happened yet. But you are confident they're going to happen. That's hope. It's about the future. Which means hope is about the unseen. Because it hasn't happened yet, it's unseen. And yet hope says, I'm confident it's out there and it's going to happen. Paul said to the Romans, it's not hope if you can see it. Because hope is about the unseen. Confident that it's going to take place. And it's not only about the future and about the unseen, but hope is about what is good. It's it's the confident expectation of a future good. That there's something good out there. And I'm confident it's going to happen. I don't see it now, but I'm confident of it. It's going to become reality. That's hope. Now, what did the Thessalonians have their hope in? That, in turn, inspired their endurance. Well, the scripture there says that their hope was in the Lord Jesus Christ. But even more specific than that, if you go to uh, verse 9 of chapter 1, it's talking about people in uh, Macedonia and Achaia all around Thessalonica who, who knew about the Thessalonian church and would talk about that church. And verse 9 says, They themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. 
They tell how you, the Thessalonians, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The hope of the Thessalonian church was in Jesus. Specifically, it was in his return. They were waiting for the return of Jesus to rescue them from wrath. They'd placed their hope in that. Apparently, even though Paul was only in Thessalonica for a short while, he had taught about that. He had taught them that Jesus, the one they had come to believe in and trust their lives with, was coming back to rescue them. And so they were waiting for that. That's what their hope was in. They had this confident, even as new believers, a fairly new church, they had this confident expectation that what Paul had taught them was true, that Jesus, the one they'd placed their trust in, was coming back. They didn't see it now in the present. But they knew it was good, and it was going to happen, and it gave them hope. And that hope of the return of Christ and the good inspired them to endure and to persevere. That's our hope too, isn't it? When you boil it right down, that is our hope, those of us who are followers of Christ. That's our hope. Jesus is coming back. We're going to be with him. That's the hope of the Christian life. Take a look at 1 Peter. Just a few books over. 1 Peter chapter 1. Starting in verse 3. 1 Peter 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a... What? Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Peter says, when you were born again, when you were born into the family of God through faith in Jesus, you were given this living hope. And the hope is that there's something good out there waiting for you. It's an inheritance. It's reserved in heaven for you. And as Christians, we believe it, right? And we look forward to that. And that hope keeps us going here. It inspires endurance, even if things are difficult. It inspires persevering, no matter what's going on. It's that hope of Jesus returning and all the good that will be our experience as his children. Those who don't know Christ don't have that hope. That comes from a relationship with Jesus. Those who don't know Christ walk through this life and all the difficulties without hope, without a confident expectation that there is a future good 
beyond what's going on right now. And so uh, John, in his letter, 1 John chapter 3, he talks about this hope. And he says the hope is that of one day seeing Jesus and becoming like him. Keeps us going. There's a good that we look forward to. In uh, the book of Hebrews, the writer talks about this hope we have as God's people. And he says that hope is an anchor for our soul. Isn't that wonderful? Our hope as Christians is an anchor for the soul. In fact, someone has said that hope is oxygen for the soul. It keeps us going. Keeps us going. No matter what's happening. That confident expectation that God has something good beyond what's going on right now. And that's kind of what Paul was talking about in Romans 8. Uh, 828. Um, You know, uh, God causes all things to work together for what? Good to those who love him. And the next verse looks like the good is to become more like Jesus. And the verses that came before it talk about the suffering that we experience in this world. But we have hope. Because even if we haven't seen it yet, we know that God is working all things for good to those who love him. That's hope. And the Thessalonians had this hope as they waited for Jesus. They knew there was something good out there. And this hope they had inspired endurance in amazing way because it became known to people throughout Macedonia and people throughout Achaia. They knew that this Thessalonian group, this church in that city, were a people of hope as they watched their endurance. But the Thessalonian church was not a perfect church. And this, this hope and endurance isn't always easy, right? It's not always easy. And I want to show you from Paul's writing to this church that there were three things that threatened the hope and thus the endurance of this church in Thessalonica that Paul needs to address The first one was this ongoing opposition and persecution that the church in Thessalonica was experiencing. They were a church that was suffering, suffering tremendous opposition. And you can go back to the book of Acts, chapter 17, that records Paul's time there. And you can read a little bit about the opposition, the persecution. It was so bad, Paul had to leave. They had to sneak Paul out of there. But guess what? This new church had to stay. That was their home. And they continued to experience opposition. 
and persecution. And that has a way, especially when it's nonstop, to threaten your hope and your endurance. Let's see how it's expressed here in the text. Chapter 1, verse 6. He says to them, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. He's reminding them that back when he was there, they received his gospel message he was preaching, but it was in the midst of tremendous suffering, opposition. And that apparently continued even after Paul left. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 14. 2.14, he says, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Jesus Christ. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. Paul says, you're experiencing what what the churches in Judea experience. They were persecuted and are being persecuted by their own people for their faith. And he says, you're experiencing the same thing. You are suffering persecution at the hands of your own people. Maybe your own family. Maybe your neighbors. People in the community in Thessalonica. But you're suffering persecution, just like the Christians in Judea. And then if you look at uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 2. Paul says, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. And he goes on to say, we told you there would be trials. We told you that we, Paul and his partners, would experience trials. We told you you would experience trials. It wouldn't be easy. And it hasn't been. And I'm, I'm sending Timothy to see how you're doing. I hope you haven't given up because of the suffering. And then we come to 2 Thessalonians, the second letter. And because this ongoing opposition and persecution can threaten the endurance and the hope that produces and inspires that endurance, Paul had to remind them of some things. And he does that in his second letter. Uh, Notice what he says, starting in verse 4, 2 Thessalonians 1, 4. He says, Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. And he goes back to what? The return of Christ. And he talks about when Jesus comes, there will be justice. And those who are persecuting you and making you suffer will be dealt with. There will be justice. And he says on that day, Verse 10, you will receive the blessing 
because you believe in Jesus. But what does he do? He reminds them of their hope, the return of Christ. And even though right now this ongoing persecution and suffering and opposition seems like it will never end and seems like it's so unjust and doesn't seem like justice is anywhere close by, Paul reminds them of the hope. Jesus will come back. And when he comes back, there will be justice for those who persecute you. And there will be glory for you. Good. A future good. And so he just, you know, he says, you're known for your perseverance. You're known for your endurance in suffering. But apparently, there's always that thought of, is it worth it? Is it worth it if this suffering and this opposition and persecution just goes on and on and never stops? That can threaten your hope. That can threaten your endurance. And so Paul, in his wisdom, reminds them of the hope. There was another threat to their hope, and thus their endurance, and that was the death of fellow believers. People die. Even people in a healthy church, even in a church that's known for its faith, its love, and it's hope. People die. And the Thessalonians were experiencing this. People in their church, people they loved, people they cared about, people they worshipped with, people they fellowshiped with, they were dying. And apparently, because Paul was there such a short time, there were things he hadn't taught them that they were unaware of. And it sounds like they were confused. What happens when one of ours dies? What happens when people in our church, fellow Christians, die? Will we ever see them again? That can start threatening your hope, can't it? Because hope is about a future good. And they don't know what's going to happen as different ones in their church are dying. And so Paul has to address that. And how does he do it? He gives information. He adds things to what he had taught them before. He adds to the idea Jesus is coming back. Chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. He says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. In other words, they were. There was something they didn't know. And it was causing confusion as people are dying. So he says, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, those who are dying, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no what? Hope. There's something you haven't been taught yet that can give you hope to endure as people are dying. And he goes on to give that hope. Verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, 
will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. Now, they knew that, that Jesus was coming back. But now he adds information. He says, and at that time, the dead in Christ will rise first. Those among you who have died, they're going to be resurrected when Jesus comes back. They will rise. Verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them. With who? Those who have died. We'll see them again. We'll be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we, we who will be still alive and those who have died before us, we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage and comfort each other. So what's he doing? There was a threat to their hope. There was a threat to their endurance because people were dying and they didn't know what that meant. What was happening to them? Will we ever see them again? And so Paul, in his wisdom, adds information to what he had already taught them. And he says, you will see them again. The day is coming when Jesus returns. They will rise and you will be taken up and you'll be together with them, with the Lord forever. And so he bolsters their hope by informing them of something good that they hadn't learned yet. There's a third threat that the Thessalonian church experienced that could threaten their hope and thus their endurance. And it was false teaching about the return of Christ. False teaching. <clears throat> we see that in Second Thessalonians. <clears throat> now, they had already been taught that Jesus is coming back. In the first letter, they get the more information to help them in their grieving and give them hope that when Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ will rise. Those who are still alive will be caught up to be with them, with the Lord. So he's already given them that information. He's also told them in chapter 1 here of Second Thessalonians that at that time there will be justice. And there will be judgment for those who didn't know the Lord. And there will be glory for them. The, the suffering, the persecution, the opposition will be done. But then you come to chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians. And he starts this way. He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, which they knew about. Their hope was in that, that Jesus was coming back. So he says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. That's what he taught them in the first letter, chapter 4, that when Jesus comes, there'll be this gathering to be with Jesus. So he says, concerning those things you already know, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or a letter, asserting 
that the day of the Lord, the time of judgment, has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. And basically he goes on to say, that day has not come. And he talks about things that have to happen before that judgment, that day of the Lord comes. Apparently what had happened, somebody had come into the church in Thessalonica and had told them that the day of the Lord is already here. The time of judgment has already come. Well, you're this church of new believers and and you've been taught that Jesus is coming back. Your hope is in that. You've been taught that when he comes back, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead believers and those alive be caught up to be with Jesus. You've been taught that in chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, that when Jesus comes, there's going to be justice. And there is going to be judgment for those who didn't know Jesus. But for those who do, there will be glory. And now people are telling them, the day of the Lord, the time of judgment is here. Guess what that would cause these Thessalonians to start thinking? We missed it. We missed the coming of the Lord. We missed the gathering. We're still here and we're suffering. Conclusion what? Are we being judged? Is that what we're experiencing in our suffering? The day of the Lord? And we missed his coming and being gathered to him? Can you see the confusion? And Paul says, that's false teaching. The day of the Lord has not come. Christ hasn't returned. The gathering hasn't taken place. Let me tell you what has to happen before. And that's the rest of chapter 2. And so what he's doing is he's trying to clear up this false teaching and present truth about the return of Christ. Because that false teaching could really threaten their hope and their endurance that that hope brings. And so he wraps it up In chapter 2, after uh, giving them the truth about the return of Christ, and in verse 15 he says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm, hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you. Not those guys, whoever it is. The teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. So you have a church in Thessalonica known for their endurance, inspired by hope, hope in the return of Christ and all the good things that will become reality for them. But they're not a perfect church. And there are things that could still threaten their hope and thus their endurance. And so Paul needs to address those things to build up their hope. 
to encourage them to keep that hope strong because that will keep you persevering and enduring. And so he has to remind them when Jesus comes, there will be justice for those who are putting you through the suffering and there will be glory for you. That's your hope. He has to add some information they didn't know about those who died as believers. That there is hope that when Jesus comes, those people are going to rise again. And if you're alive, you're going to be gathered up and be with them. That's hope. And don't listen to the false teachers who threaten your hope. Here's the truth. May you live in that hope. And may that hope inspire your continued endurance and perseverance in this world. What will it take for us to be known as a church that perseveres because of our hope? Well, the same as we said about faith and about love. For a church to be known as a group that perseveres and endures through hard things because of hope, it's going to take the people in that church individually to have that hope. And that hope inspiring endurance in their lives, perseverance in their lives as they experience the trials of life and the suffering and the things that are part of this world. A church becomes known for its hope and endurance in difficulty because there's enough people in that church who endure and persevere because of their hope individually. That's how it happens. Because again, I'll repeat it, the people are the church. And if enough people have a certain characteristic, that becomes the characteristic of the church. In this case, hope that inspires endurance. So, you know, we want to be a church that's known for hope, that inspires endurance and perseverance. You know, we want to be known as a church that even if there is opposition and it's difficult, our hope in Jesus causes us to endure and persevere. We want to be a church that even if there's open persecution toward us as a church, we endure and persevere because of our hope that we have in Jesus and what's ahead. We want to be a church that's known for when the church burns down and the people are saying, that's it for them, they're gone, we endure. And we persevere and we keep going because of our hope. We want to be known as a, a church of hope in times of pandemic. That because of our hope endures 
and perseveres. We want to be a church when even though there might be some internal conflict, the way we handle it causes us to endure and to persevere because of our hope. We want to be a church when there's bad economic times and there's financial trials that we endure and we persevere because of our hope. We know there's a good coming. We want to be a church that when there are social pressures from every direction, we will endure and persevere because of our hope in Jesus. We want to be a church when there seems to be multiple deaths and physical suffering. We endure together. We persevere together because of our hope. We want to be a church that when, for whatever reasons, we're losing people, we endure and we persevere because of our hope. We're confident of a future good. And we keep going. We don't throw in the towel. Our hope inspires endurance. To wrap up the series, the challenge before us that I stated in the first message is that we be a faith, love, and hope church. Simple as that. That we be a church that is known for their faith in Jesus Christ and the kind of life that produces. That we be known as a church that loves, even when it's difficult. Even when it's labor to love, we love. And we want to be known as a church that has hope. We're confident of a future good that's waiting for us. And because of that, we will endure. We will stand firm. We will keep moving forward because of our hope. And I tell you what, each one of those can create a powerful witness. Think about it. Faith in Christ that produces a way of living that is different. What a powerful witness in a community. Just think of it. A church that is known for its love, even when it's difficult to love. What a witness to our communities and people outside this church. And hope. I mean, this world needs hope. It's so hard for them to endure and persevere because they don't have hope. There's nothing good in their future that they can keep looking at. And what a witness to the world to watch a church endure and persevere difficulty because of their hope. But then, friends, as powerful as each of those are, 
What if you put them all together in the same church? What if you put the faith, the love, and the hope all together at once? Wow. The witness for Jesus that that church could have. And so that's our challenge, to be a faith, love, and hope church. And the question for us is a question I asked in the introductory message. By the end of January, after we've gone through this and thought about this, my question when I concluded that first message was, will we be on board? Our challenge is to be a faith, love, hope church. The question is, will we be on board with that? How many of us will be on board with that? How many of us are going to be willing to be faith, love, hope people? So that if enough of us are, that will be our church. Are you on board? Are you on board with whatever it will take for you personally to be a faith, love, and hope person? I'd like to conclude the series in Second Timothy. Second Timothy, chapter four. The Apostle Paul is saying this individually about himself. And you're familiar with it. He says in verse seven of Second Timothy four, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me, just notice the hope terms here. There is in store for me, that's future, the crown of righteousness. Hasn't seen it yet, isn't reality for him yet when he writes this. But he says, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Hasn't happened yet. On that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for, and here's the hope, his appearing. There's something good when he appears. And Paul says, I fought the good fight. I ran the race. I kept the faith. I finished well. And I'm looking forward to my hope that helped me endure and persevere in this world becomes reality when my Savior appears. We could read that passage corporately so that we as a church could say one day, we fought the good fight. We didn't give up. Kept moving forward, despite the difficulties. 
We ran the race. We ran a good race. We kept going. And we kept the faith. And you could add the love and the hope. And we know that there's something good waiting for us when Jesus appears. That's our hope that keeps us going. Okay, here's quiz question, and I'll close in prayer. What was the very first question I asked you on January 8th to begin this series? Anybody remember? Did you read the sign? Right. That sign will be up there over our entrance all year. And I encourage you, every time you enter this building, look up and read those three words and be reminded of the kind of church God wants us to be, the kind of person he wants you to be. Because those two go together. If we're not that kind of people, that won't be the kind of church we are. It's about faith in Jesus and the kind of life it produces. It's about love for others, even when that love is a labor, because it's not easy. And it's about hope. Hope in Jesus, his return, and all the good that's out there that we don't see right now, but we're confident it's going to be reality someday, and that keeps us going, no matter how difficult it is. Keep reminding yourself. Look up. Read the sign. Throughout the entire year. Faith, love, hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the Thessalonian church who, Lord, were known for These three wonderful things that are so important to you, so important to the Christian life, and so important to our witness, Lord. Father, I pray that you have encouraged us. I pray that you have challenged us. I pray that you have motivated us to be this kind of church and that you've challenged each of us individually to make sure we personally are people of faith, love, and hope. And growing as this year goes on in those things. And may our witness then bring glory to you and turn attention to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.